0: The Gospel of God on display in a Nazareth synagogue. Shalom! Thank you for joining us for the sermon of the third Sunday of Epiphany, January 23rd, 2022, from Christ Church, Jerusalem. Jesus begins his ministry in Luke's Gospel by declaring that his mission is a continuation of God's desire to rescue, redeem what rightfully belongs to him. We can only fully understand the depth of God's love and compassion, says Reverend David Pelegi, when we see this incident in the light of his dealings with Israel. David also reminds us that redemption is always accompanied by humility and repentance. Deacon Rosemary Saunders starts us off with a word of prayer
1: Almighty God,
2: whose Son, our Saviour, is the light of the world, grant that your people, enlightened by your word and sacraments, may shine with the radiance of his glory, that he may be worshipped and obeyed to the ends of the earth, through Jesus, the Anointed One, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, now
0: and forever. So now we're going to have the readings of the word.
2: Good morning. The first reading is from Leviticus, chapter 25, verses 8 through 15 and 39 through 50. Count off seven Sabbath years, seven times seven years, so that the seven Sabbath years amount to a period of 49 years. Then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement, sound the trumpet throughout your land. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family property and to your own clan. The 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. Do not sow and do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the unintended vines. For it is a jubilee and is to be holy for you. Eat only what is taken directly from the fields. In this year of Jubilee, everyone is to return to their own property. If you sell land to any of your own people or buy land from them, do not take advantage of each other. You are to buy from your own people on the basis of the number of years since the Jubilee. And they are to sell to you on the basis of the number of years left for harvesting crops. If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and sell themselves to you, do not make them work as slaves. They are to be treated as hired workers or temporary residents among you. They are to work for you until the year of Jubilee. Then they and their children are to be released and they will go back to their own clans and to the property of their ancestors. Because the Israelites are my servants, whom I brought out of Egypt, they must not be sold as slaves. Do not rule over them ruthlessly, but fear your God. Your male and female slaves are to come from the nations around you. From them you may buy slaves. You may also buy some of the temporary residents living among you, and members of their clans born in your country, and they will become your property. You can bequeath them to your children as inherited property and can make them slaves for life, but you must not rule over your fellow Israelites ruthlessly. If a foreigner residing among you becomes rich and any of your fellow Israelites become poor and sell themselves to the foreigner or to a member of the foreigner's clan, They retain the right of redemption after they have sold themselves. One of their relatives may redeem them. An uncle or a cousin or any blood relative in their clan may redeem them. Or if they prosper, they may redeem themselves. They and their buyer are to count the time from the year they sold themselves up to the year of Jubilee. The price for their release is to be based on the rate paid to a hired worker for that number of years. This is the word
3: of the Lord. Our second reading is from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 61. And these are the words that Jesus read at the beginning of his ministry in the synagogue at Nazareth The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Shepherds, strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance, and so you will inherit the double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours." I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up, and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the Sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations." These are the words of the Lord. Our
1: Gospel reading is taken from Luke chapter 4, starting verse 14. Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. and he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, "Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the gospel of the Lord be to
4: God. Let's pray before we begin, and once more, Lord, as we asked a few minutes previously, we pray that we'll be nourished by your word, challenged by your word, transformed by obeying your word, blessed, Lord, in being faithful. Lord, we ask that you give us grace and that uh, you give us strength. And Lord, we ask that you will come and rescue us from all those things that make us keep us stuck, or all those things that end up hurting us or sabotaging ourselves. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. I'd like to um, look the, um, Of course, the gospel reading and um, our reading, which of, comes from Luke, is um, or the story of Jesus in the synagogue at Nazareth is split into two parts. We'll have uh, part A this week and part B next week, and it really fits uh, very nicely. I think, into the season of uh, Epiphany and connects with some of the things that we've said previously. And of course, we'll start to prepare us for the season of Lent. But uh, you may recall that we started Epiphany, which was just three Sundays ago, uh, with ta- uh, talking about the baptism of Jesus, talking about his identity, where that identity comes from, and uh, the importance of our identity and some ways that we need to sharpen and strengthen that identity. Not simply to strengthen our theology, <coughs> yes, but also strengthen, una- strengthen an identity. So I think especially for those of us who live in this country where uh, believers are a very, very tiny, tiny majority Sorry, minority in a very big, uh, in a very big, minority, very big majority of uh, Jews and Muslims. Secondly, I think it's important. The story is important because we will be spending most of the year in Luke's Gospel, and uh, this sets the stage for Luke's. Sets the stage for, for not only the gospel of Luke, but almost for the book of Acts as well. And so to understand Luke's gospel, we need to understand the story. We need to understand something of what Jesus is doing and saying at the synagogue in Nazareth. as yes, who he is and what he declares, you might say, his program or his mission to be. This is the mission statement. Uh, for the gospel of Luke, which is the longest gospel in the New Testament. And if you include Luke and Acts together, because the the two are you might say kissing cousins, uh, it makes up I don't know, maybe a fifth, if not more, of the the entire New Testament. So I think we want to pay special attention uh, to Luke's Theology and the way that he is going to present the life and message of Jesus to us. But I'd like to start uh, in an unusual place. I hope it's unusual. I'd like to start with the number seven. Uh, And seven, as we all know, is something that the ancients, including Jews, uh, understood to be... uh, Symbolic or representing divine perfection, and we see this especially in relationship to time. Um, and the number seven is something is uh, a way that uh, we get a message that uh, time has a divine origin, uh, and the way that we keep time or keep track of time. Uh, actually has its roots in the divine. And of course, the key, and when we're talking about time, the key and the number seven is the Sabbath day itself. And the Sabbath is, a sort, of course, something uh, essential. And you might say God's whole timetable turns on the Sabbath or turns on the seventh day. Not only do we have one day, In the uh, seven that is considered holy. But we have um, 70 days throughout the year, which we're, according to the Bible, not allowed to do work. These include uh, a weekly Sabbath, and they further include uh, other holidays. And there are seven, you might say, all of the, Festivals, the biblical festivals, fall within a period of seven months. Yes, so, seven, seventy, seventy, and every seven years, there is to be a rest for the land, a shmita, and we're in that seventh year as we speak now. And then there is the super sabbath. That's the seven times seven. Yes, 49. Yes, after the 49th year, as we enter the 50th year on Yom Kippur, when the shofar is blown at the end of Yom Kippur, then the year of Jubilee begins. And that year of Jubilee, which is described somewhat for us in the reading Uh, not in its entirety, mind you, but in uh, Leviticus 25. That year of Jubilee was something uh, very radical happened because all slaves were to be freed. Uh, When we think of slavery in the Bible, it's not exactly slavery as we find in maybe the American South or the African slave trade, which brought, um, which brought uh, Africans uh, to the Caribbean to work on uh, sugar plantations, talking about indentured servants. Secondly, in this year of Jubilee, there was a cancellation of debt, and the land that had been sold um your patrimony or land that your family owned and that had been sold especially to pay debts was returned to you and the land was also given a rest as well so you might say that this year of jubilee which they call a year of redemption is that things go back to the way that God originally intended. And for the people of Israel, yes, it was their, you might say, mission or goal that they would reflect or show to the world God's character. And God had rescued the people of Israel out of slavery and he had given them the land. Therefore, all through the chapter, yes, it talks about deliverance from Egypt. And then you hear the phrase, I am the Lord, right? And God is expecting his people, yes, to act and live in a way in which uh, you might say highlights or which reflects what he's done for them. In fact, he goes uh, as far as to say in, which might be a good reminder for all of us who live here today, in Leviticus, he tells us in 25, he says, the land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine and you reside in the land as foreigners and strangers. Yes, yes meaning ultimately not only the people of Israel belong to God, yes, and should not be enslaved, but also the land itself belongs to God. And that Israel, in a sense, is nothing more than tenant farmers. And the Jubilee is a way of acknowledging God's sovereignty and God's control over those things that are holy, over people, over land, and even over time itself. yes. these are all, you might say, spheres in which God's holiness intersects. And so the the land is to be returned. Yes, how is this accomplished? Or if people are to be brought out of slavery, brought, brought out of, you know, their debts are to be forgiven, they're to be returned. Yes, there's always the place and the role for the for a redeemer. And that redeemer is a member of the family who has influence, power, money, you might say, maybe a little bit like a godfather, who can yes, bring about. Yes, this restoration or this redemption. The redeeming people, redeeming land. Yes, redeeming from debt and returning them, yes, to the land that God originally gave them. And the perfect example of this, this what we call a kinsman redeemer, is none other than Boaz. Yes and the way that he redeems Ruth and Naomi. And uh, this sort of person still exists in local society. There's a story told to me by a member of this congregation a number of years ago. She worked in Ramallah and uh, she, Uh, had no family in Ramallah. She had no, you might say, protexia. And she worked for a high-tech company that was cheating her and refused to pay her wages for months. Uh, And she had no one to appeal to. Certainly the law at that time, yes, the civil authorities were weak. Nobody was going to come to her rescue. Nobody was going to help. And I remember praying with this woman that God would send a Redeemer, that God would send someone, you know, who, who could uh, bring justice. And lo and behold, she met uh, a wealthy businessman, Christian Arab man, who took great pity on her, called her boss, put the heavy on him, Yes, using his reputation, his influence, his name in the community. And uh, within a week, she got all of her back pay. Yes, that's a kinsman redeemer. Even though he wasn't exactly a relative. Yes, he was a fellow believer. A kinsman redeemer. So God is using those in the family to bring about justice for those, especially for those who are poor, those without influence, those who have fallen victim to misfortune, those who have fallen victim to corruption or sin. Yes, God sends a Redeemer. By the way, this Redeemer, as we'll learn next week was not only there to bring justice, but reading the book of Numbers, the Redeemer is also one who brings justice through, yes, avenging, yes, the wrong done to the family. Yes, so justice might be a bit rough. So the kinsman Redeemer, an avenger, Yes, wearing the black hat. And the one who stands up for the poor and the oppressed, wearing the white hat. By the way, this might be an important lesson for us and something for us to consider at the moment before we go on to Isaiah. Because it hopefully reminds us in part, what it means to be holy, or what holiness is all about, is not just something about something to do with personal morality. I think sometimes in our uh, understanding of the of the New Testament uh, and certain uh, evangelical circles, uh, the gospel is about me and it's about my redemption and my salvation and my holiness and my walk with the Lord. This is a point I wanna come back to in a minute. And uh, we forget that uh, what it means to be holy to the Lord, in a society at least, is that there's justice and that there's fairness and that the poor are not oppressed where there's not a system that ends up uh, keeping the poor poor or the disadvantaged, you know, in, in a place of uh, perpetual weakness. So that's the book of Leviticus. That's the year of jubilee, the seven times seven, and the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. Uh, at least for the latter part of Isaiah. It is written to encourage the exiles, those who have returned from Babylon. It wants to The prophet wants to encourage them to rebuild the city, to rebuild the temple. The community is in despair after their exile. Of course, they were exiled because of their sin. They um, are overwhelmed, you might say, by their smallness, by uh, a, um, a sense of defeat. They're, you might say, is quite lethargic, and God wants to encourage His people, and the way that He's going to encourage His people is by using the imagery, the metaphor, the language of Leviticus 25. Because God in the book of Isaiah, especially the latter part, yes, uh, reveals himself to his people as this redeemer, the kinsman redeemer. And over and over in the book of Isaiah, we have uh, statements like the following from isaiah fifty nine verse twenty the redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who repent of their sins declares the Lord yes the redeemer will come to Zion of course it's connected to uh, connected to repentance and God is going to Bring to the people of Israel, and this is probably the, the critical, uh, the critical piece. He's going to bring them release. Now, in uh, Leviticus 25, especially verse 10, which is a verse that Jesus will quote, and we'll look in a minute. 25, 10, especially if you're an American, is a well known verse as the verse is on the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia. And the verse says, yes, consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee. Yes, it shall be this great year of restoration and redemption. Proclaim liberty, yes, literally in Hebrew and then later in Greek. Yes, the word is used, translated as release. Yes, there's a release from your debt. There's a release from slavery. And the people of Israel after the exile, yes, again, are are in this bondage, maybe psychological, spiritual, but it's also they're no different than the people, yes, who are addressed in Isaiah Sorry, in Leviticus 25, they're the losers. They're poor. They're oppressed. Yes, misfortune has fallen upon them. Their situation does not look rosy. They're incredibly discouraged and downcast. So much so, they don't want to rebuild the temple. What future do we have, they say. And what God says is that he will come and redeem them from the slavery or release them of their debt. Now, by the time you get to Isaiah, and certainly by the time you get to Jesus, the Bible more often than not talks about debt. It's no longer talking about something just purely financial. It becomes the metaphor for sin. We even know it in the old the Lord's Prayer. Yes, the old version of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those, yes, who sin against us. Yes. So sin, which was once a burden, now is understood. In the late biblical period in the New Testament, it's understood as a debt. It has to be repaid. Yes. And God says, I'm the one who's gonna come and redeem Israel. I'm going to bring release to Israel. I'm going to bring Israel into a place of freedom. And so this idea of Jubilee becomes a prophecy, you might say, yes, of what God intends to do for his people. Yes, there is a coming age There is a coming jubilee. Now, along comes Jesus. And uh, Jesus, as we read a few weeks ago, is baptized in the Jordan. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. He's brought into the desert. He is tested and found to be obedient. And Luke's gospel says he goes into Galilee full of the Holy Spirit. And the first thing he does, and the first words we have of his public ministry, yes, from Luke's gospel, is that uh, Jesus goes. He reads, and I don't think I'm going to go into all the detail about the you know, synagogue worship at that time, But he reads, he sits, and sitting was the position of teaching. And uh, he says something incredibly startling. He says, today, today, now, at this moment, yes, this scripture that he read, Isaiah 61, is now fulfilled in your hearing it's now fulfilled in me. I'm the, one who, I'm the one who is bringing this Jubilee. And why is this so important and essential for us? I think it's critical because we need to understand the gospel. The gospel, when we talk about the gospel in our community, we sometimes, many times, the gospel is just about our personal salvation. We confuse the gospel with salvation. Now, being saved is part of the gospel, but it's not the entire gospel. It gets so weird that you have a number of Protestants, many who will say that Jesus never preached the gospel. Only Paul preached the Gospel because he was the only one who talked about you know being justified by faith and being saved by grace and not because it 's works that 's part of the gospel, but that 's not the entire gospel. the gospel yes, is about God, and what he does for us in the life and death, resurrection and ascension of his son, Jesus of Nazareth. And the gospel is about God coming to the rescue. God rescuing the human family or rescuing us. The gospel isn't even only, I know this will sound shocking and heretical, it's not only about Jesus. It's about God the Father and his character. In the book of Leviticus, God is the one who's gonna rescue Israel from its sin or its corruption or just the general misfortune that happens in life. He takes the initiative. He's the one who goes and uh, arranges for for a jubilee. And it's even stronger in the book of Isaiah. And Jesus is going to frame his ministry and tell us, yes, what not only who he is, because he's telling us the spirit of the Lord is upon me. So he's telling, me he's, he's telling us he's one anointed from God. And secondly, you, by quoting from Isaiah, which uses Leviticus, he's telling us that the year of Jubilee is here. And how does this year of Jubilee come about? It comes about through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if we want to think in terms of helping the poor, and we want to think in terms of bringing freedom to the uh, sight to the blind and freedom to the oppressed, it could be very easy for us to think in terms of hey, we have tools. These tools include therapy. These tools tools include social work. These tools might include government programs. And I want to strongly emphasize there's nothing wrong with any of those things. They are, and they, they are helpful, very, very helpful. But the emphasis here is on you know, the power of the Holy Spirit. And the emphasis, all of this, I hope, dear friends, points to God. It's not merely about our personal salvation. It's not about our personal uh, flourishing or getting our needs met. There's That is part of it, and it's partially true, right? Again, God has sent his son, or God has now empowered his son, and that is the gospel. I may remind you that um, even Paul himself, I remind you that as I read in Romans 1, Paul says it is the gospel of God, or it could even be the gospel from God. Right, It is the good news of what God is doing in this world. At the end of Romans, Paul tells us that um, he says, I'm a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. or in the first book he probably wrote, the book of Thessalonians. Paul tells the community there. He said, because we love you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are you are witnesses and so is god of how holy righteous and blameless we were among you among you who believed and so again the emphasis over and over again is this is this this is god and how what is god doing you're sitting on a bus and someone maybe not in this country so often, but someone will ask you, what do you believe? And you have one minute. What do you tell a person? Yes, what do you tell a person? Maybe you might want to start with saying, I believe that God sent his son to rescue us. That's the biblical story. And that biblical story, by the way, That biblical story takes place in the context of the story of Israel and of the Hebrew scriptures. We cannot divorce it from that. Maybe if you only have one minute to tell somebody, you don't want to go into the whole story of the Jubilee. But for us who are followers of Jesus, we need to understand that what's happening in this synagogue in Nazareth Yes, is a fulfillment of the scriptures. Yes, it is a climax of God's long story and long involvement with the people of Israel. And it always has to be told, yes, whether we go into detail or not, it has to be told in that context. within the context of Israel, the Hebrew scriptures, the Jewishness of Jesus, whatever it may be. And so often, more often than not, we universalize it. So we talk about Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, for most people who hear that name, you know, they think, well, Christ must be his family name, his last name. Yes. We don't say Jesus the Messiah, because if we did, then we'd be connecting this, his his saving activity, yes, to all those prophecies and scriptures that went before him. Or we talk about God, yes, but we don't talk about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yes, we kind of spiritualize it. Or we talk about even the New Testament, but the new covenant was first and foremost given to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Yes, all of these terms, we find ways of, you might say, writing Israel out of the story. And when we do that, we oftentimes, I, I don't oftentimes, we dilute, yes, the meaning of the gospel. And we can easily begin to create our own gospel or our own understanding, yes, of who God is and what he's done in his son, and it gets bent and shaped by our own personal brokenness or our own, per, our own strengths, or it gets bent and shaped by the culture around us. And as we live in the me generation, and the me culture, yes, the gospel is all about me. The gospel is all about me. When it should be pointing to God and what God does for us. Yes, we just, we need to re-maybe orientate ourselves. This is the gospel of God. God wanted to rescue the losers in Leviticus, the losers in Isaiah. And he has come to bring good news, Jesus said, to the poor. Who are the poor? Well, technically, they're the ones who are economically poor. And we shouldn't try to totally spiritualize this. But at the same time, the poor are those throughout Luke's gospel who are humble and those who are needy, and that good news is for all of us. And what follows is not just a proclamation about liberation, but what follows is actual. Um, what follows is actually liberation. Uh, Liberation itself, yes. Freedom from oppression, whether it's the oppression of the devil, healing for the sick, enlightenment to those of us who are blind, and believe me, all of us are blind to one extent or another. And most of all, as we read later, yes, release from our sins. Luke will make a big point of all of this, yes, that our sins are forgiven. The same word, the same word that uh, the Greeks, uh, was used in the Septuagint or the Greek Bible, yes, for proclaiming liberty or proclaiming freedom is literally the word for release right that's where that's where oppression begins or that's where you might say deliverance begins is that we are freed from our sins we're also released as we see from the power of satan So Jesus, our passage reminds us that Jesus has a prophetic role. He's anointed by the Spirit. He declares the arrival of a new era, this era of jubilee, which will not only be for the Jewish people, but for the nations. And he's the one who will actually bring about that release. And so how does this speak to us practically? Yes, Well, again, first and foremost, I would suggest that we begin to uh, refocus ourselves or to come to a biblical worldview so that we better understand what the gospel is about. And just to say it again, it is about God, his character, his love, his desire to rescue us, yes, and then it's about me. He does that by sending his son. So what's shocking is then that, that synagogue it's today. This is fulfilled in your hearing, and of course, f- for different reasons, people are going to take offense at that, and some people are still offended to this day. Many people are still offended by it, still offended to this day, that in some obscure town, some a Jewish teacher is going to declare that in him, you know, God is bringing about this jubilee. But I think the other thing that's important for us is really this understanding of what it means to be poor. Yes. Poverty or to be poor in spirit is very simply to be open to God, to be able to admit our need, to be able to admit that we are self-deceived, to be able to admit that sometimes we are entangled in our own web, ones that we make for ourselves. Sometimes we're just entangled in misfortune, whatever it may be. And secondly, if we're poor and desperate, there's always the connection, yes, with the Jubilee and repentance. Repentance in chapter 25 of Leviticus happens after, it's assumed because it's after Yom Kippur. The minute Yom Kippur is over and the shofar is blown, Jubilee begins. In Isaiah, God says, I'm sending a redeemer. I'm sending you the kinsman redeemer. And this redeemer will work on behalf of all who repent of their sins. And of course, the message of Jesus is repent. Yes, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you want another definition for the kingdom of heaven, which comes up over and over again in our readings for the next year, the kingdom of heaven is the the year of jubilee it's the year of jubilee it's release from our sin which is a debt that must be repaid it's healing and reconciliation being free freed from the devil but you know we turn we turn repentance into this religious drama Repentance is nothing more than just changing our direction. It can come with tears. It can come with angst. It can come with, you know, suffering. We can resist it. But sometimes we make it uh, bigger than we ought. Yes, yeah, so we can be poor in spirit. We can be needy, we can be desperate, but we, we can also be stubborn. You can say, I have a need, I have a need, I have a need, help me, but the question is whether all of us are willing to change our direction and to go in a different way. We want the year of Jubilee. I think those two things certainly are essential for us personally. But I hope it's not only something personal. I hope that we want the same for our families, and we want the same for the community, maybe even the city in which we live, the country in which we live, the way that we're governed. Maybe not so easy in a very post-Christian secular world but our horizon should be bigger than just our own personal and individual lives. You know, when Jesus declares this year of Jubilee, release of debts, return of land, you would think, okay, I'm gonna go and have a uh, big economic program. He doesn't. It's not some uh, uh, social program that he presents but he focuses on release from the devil, healing, yes, reconciliation and repentance. But may I just remind you that Luke's gospel, the gospel that we'll be reading for the next year, all of this has implications for the society in which we live, the community in which we live, for women, for the oppressed, for the confused, yes, and more. Meaning Luke focuses on these. And I think another, um, mature understanding of the gospel is that the gospel isn't just about spiritual stuff. And it's not just about physical stuff, feeding the hungry or helping the poor, yes. The gospel that we see, the God that we see, who acts through his Son, is concerned with both. And we have to hold them in attention. We have to hold them in attention. To care for the poor, to care for the confused or the oppressed, to care for those who are oppressed by the devil or need physical healing, or need to come and confess and repent. Yes, All of these things, yes, are a reflection of who God is and what God wants. The earth is the Lord's. The people belong to Him, even though we're in rebellion. Yes, and the Lord is set about through His Son for bringing rescue and reclaiming us for Him. Father in heaven, we do again pray that uh, our minds can be transformed, yes, by an understanding of your son, Jesus, and even a greater understanding of who you are and what it means to imitate you and to please you and what it means to bring, to be heralds or preachers or proclaimers of this message. Help us, Lord, we pray. We ask in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.